0: so uh, a few years ago uh, my family and i went down to myrtle beach south carolina for a vacation we drove down to uh, myrtle beach and on our way back we were driving through you know the rural parts of, of north and, and south carolina and uh, we saw a number of different churches pretty much every three or four miles if you've ever driven through you know kind of the backwoods there in the carolinas you'll see a small church. And I think my favorite was the one that on Sundays was a church, but Monday through Saturday, it was a barbecue place. You know, so they've got, it's what's it, kind of like food for the body and then food for the soul. And I love that idea. I wonder if that was uh, intentional or maybe it's just that that's what they, what they needed to do uh, in order just to keep the church going. And, and either way, um, I thought it was a pretty creative idea and, and way to use their church building uh, during the week. On another church, we saw the sign that's on the screen behind me, uh, Christ died for you, what have you done for him? And, and that goes with that song, 10,000 Reasons. You know? Think of all of the amazing things that God has done for us, not the least of which is sending his son Jesus to die for us. And so if he's done that for us, we have to ask ourselves the question, what have we done for him? And that's an incredibly powerful motivator for living our lives and for serving him and for following him and for obeying him and for helping the people around us. And that can be something that is very, very good. But it can also kind of transform into something that becomes a little bit problematic because it can lead us into a sort of a guilt-based Uh, duty-oriented, debt repayment kind of a relationship with God. And I don't think that's what God wants for us. But it, it gives us this kind of an attitude, you know, like God has given us so much, and so we feel obligated to give back to him. It's kind of like you invite me to come to dinner at your house, and then I feel some sort of an obligation to invite you back to come to dinner at my house, but just put that on steroids and multiply it by 10,000 times 10,000. Christ died for you. What in the world can I do to pay back that debt to him? It would take the rest of my life to pay him back for what he's done for me, and I still wouldn't be able to accomplish it. And if I allow that to control the way I relate to Him, then following Him and serving Him and living for Him, instead of being a joy and a delight and something that, that uh, is encouraging to me, it ends up being something that stifles me. And my life with Christ feels like a duty. It feels like an obligation. It feels like something that I have to do. And it ends up crushing me and discouraging me. And I don't think that's what God wants for us. And in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, I think we can see a bit of a corrective to that kind of attitude that's pretty easy for us to fall into. The gospel writer Luke, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different biographies of Jesus. In that third biography written by Luke, uh, Luke writes about a meal that Jesus had with two sisters, and during that meal, there's an interaction between Jesus and those sisters that tells us something about how we ought to relate to God, not that our relationship with him ought to be based on duty or obligation or the payment of a debt, but instead it ought to be based on grace and love and the forgiveness and mercy that he's shown us. Take a look with me as we look in just towards the end of Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way home, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made and she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now think about this. Jesus has come to Martha's house and she wants to make him feel welcome. And as verse 38 says, Martha opened her home to him. Martha, it's her house, which means she's probably the firstborn, and she feels like she's got the responsibility to entertain Jesus. He's important, he's a celebrity. Uh, Martha wants to treat him right. So she cleans, she decorates, she cooks, she sets out everything the way it ought to be. And maybe Mary helped her a little bit earlier in the day, but at this point, Martha's scurrying around, she's doing all this work, and there's her younger sister, right? Typical second born, sitting at Jesus' feet, leaving Martha to do all of this stuff. And Martha's going nuts. And so finally, she can't take it any longer, and she turns to Jesus, And she says, Don't you care that my sister is just sitting there? Come on, Jesus, tell her to help me. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, You go, girl. You tell (laughs) them. You tell him, Martha, right? Why should you have to be doing all the work? Why should Mary be sitting there? You know, and if we're honest with ourselves, yeah. Sometimes we feel that way, right? You ever feel like that, where you're doing all the work and somebody else, whether it's your sister or your kid or your parent or your spouse or your coworker, they're just sitting there doing whatever and you're doing all the work. And this is the way that Martha feels. But then Jesus speaks. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered you're worried and you're upset about so many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I just love the way that Jesus addresses Martha. Martha, Martha. You know, in in that culture, Jesus is effectively giving Martha a verbal hug, repeating her name like that. That occurs a number of different times in the Bible and almost every time a name is repeated like that, the person who's speaking is weeping because they've got compassion, they've got care, they've got concern, they've got love. And Jesus loves Martha so he's not scolding her but he does wanna correct her. But he does it with love and he does it with compassion. Oh, Martha. You don't have to go to all that trouble. I didn't come to your house so that I could have a fancy meal. I'm here because I wanna be with you. I'm here because I wanna be with Mary. So come on, relax, sit with us for just a little while. You're so busy serving me, Martha, that you don't have time to be with me. And that's what I really want. I want to be with you. Notice the irony in the way that Martha speaks to Jesus. Verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Lord, tell her to help me. Martha calls Jesus Lord, and then she commands him, right? Right? It doesn't work that way, you can't say it that way. But Martha is so frazzled, she's so frustrated, she's so angry that in a sense she doesn't realize the irony of what she's saying, she's serving Jesus and yet what she's saying to him is, I want you to serve me by getting my sister to do what I want her to do. Now, she's right. In some sense, maybe Mary should have been helping her, but in another sense, no. Jesus has said, yeah, thank you. I appreciate all that you've done for me, but I really want you to be with me. And Martha is losing sight of that And so now instead of serving Jesus, she wants to get Jesus to serve her. And that's not the way that it really ought to be. But before we're too hard on Martha, we gotta realize we do the same thing. I mean, think about how we pray, you know, Lord, do this for me, do that for me. Jesus, make my boss treat me right. Make my spouse help me. Make my children obey me. Good luck with that one, you know. Give me what I want. So often our prayers are based on our agenda rather than Jesus' agenda. And as I was thinking and praying about this 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 week, I realized, yeah, that's true for me too. Over and over and over again, I'm basically saying, Lord, do what I want you to do for me. Instead of saying, Lord, how is it that you want me to live my life? Lord, I wanna be with you. Lord, I want to sit at your feet and learn from you. Lord, you are so amazing in what you have done for me. Thank you and praise you and give me just the joy so that I will sing and praise you for 10,000 reasons of all that you've done for me. That's what Jesus wants for us. So Martha, Martha is just busy. She's running around. She's barking orders at Jesus. And look at what Mary is doing. Verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. She sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That seems a little bit weird to us, but in that day, sitting at somebody's feet is taking the position of a disciple. It's a position of submission. It's a position of recognition that This person here has something to offer me that I need him, that I want to be with him, that I want to learn from him, that I want to ultimately follow after him and be like him. Mary wants to be with Jesus. She wants to learn from him. And in that culture, women are discouraged from doing that. Mary's culture says, your place is in the kitchen. Mary's sister says, your place is in the kitchen. But Jesus says, no, your place, Mary, is with me. And Martha, your place is with me too, just like your sister at my feet, because I came here not for you to make me a fancy meal. I came here to be with you, and the absolute best thing for you is to be with me. And that's what Jesus wants for them. Martha, Martha, verse 41. Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, you don't need to be doing all those things. You don't need to make all that food. You don't need to do all that cleaning. You don't need to do all that decorating. Just sit at my feet like your sister is doing. Jesus had wanted Martha to enjoy him being in her home. She should have been excited to welcome Jesus into her home. But instead of being a joy, it had become a burden. It was no longer a blessing. It was a chore. It was a task. It was something that was frustrating. And it was driving a wedge between Martha and her sister Mary. And it was driving a wedge between Martha and Jesus. And that's absolutely not what Jesus wanted. You know, the same thing, that busyness, that same thing can be true for us. We live in a society that expects us to be busy. In this area, we're expected to be busy, and we actually wear our busyness and our activity as kind of like a badge of honor. Hey, I worked, I just finished my sixth 100-hour work week, and I say it in a way that I'm complaining, but I want you to be impressed with me that I just worked 100 hours a week for the last six hours. Oh, yeah? Well, you know what? I haven't had a vacation in three years. You got to go to Myrtle Beach, but I haven't had a vacation in three years. What about me? You know? Or I got up this morning at 4.30 in the morning so that I could get breakfast for my family. And then I got everybody off to work and I got everybody off to school and I spent the whole day serving at my charity. You know? And here's what I do at my charity. And I can't believe it because you know what? There's like 10 of us on that board and only two of us are doing all the work. It's a whole bunch of Marys that are just kind of, you know, sitting on the side over there. And so then I come home and my family obviously expects me to have dinner on the table. So I get dinner on the table and I clean up after dinner and I'm doing the laundry and then I go to bed and I get up tomorrow morning and I, and I gotta do it all over and over and over again. And yes, it's frustrating, but we also kind of brag on it because busyness is kind of like a badge of honor for us in the society in which we live. And then we do all these things for our employers, we do all these things for our families, we do all these things for our friends, we do all these things for our neighbors, we do all these things over and over and over again. And then we see the sign, we see the sign that says, Christ died for you, what have you done for him? And we're like, enough, enough, why is it that everything has to be about me doing something for somebody else. Can't somebody do something for me for once, just once, please? And Jesus says, yeah, that's what our relationship is about. It's not about what you do for me. It's about what I've done for you. And, and instead, of getting frustrated and angry with the people around us and ultimately with God, we can actually begin to enjoy our relationship with God and when we do that, that can spill over into our relationship with other people as well. Martha's frustration and Martha's anger were kind of like warning lights on the dashboard of your car. Something was wrong under the hood. Maybe Martha was trying to impress Jesus. Hey, Jesus, look at all the incredible food that I make. I'm a pretty good cook. Aren't you impressed? Or maybe she's feeling guilty about something. Maybe earlier in the day she had snapped at Mary, and she, Martha knew who Jesus was. She knew what he was like, and she figured maybe she figured, hey, she, you know, Jesus saw me snapping at Mary earlier in the day, and, and so now she's going to try to make up for it. Well, that didn't work out so well because now she's snapping at Jesus because Jesus is not getting Mary to help her at that point. Or, or maybe, maybe it started out as gratefulness. Maybe Martha had those 10,000 reasons to thank Jesus, but that gratitude slowly morphed into sort of a duty-oriented debt repayment Kind of a relationship with Jesus, and she began to resent it just a little bit, especially because Mary wasn't helping her. But she began to resent it, and she began to get frustrated, and she began to get angry. Whatever it was, her frustration, her anger showed that she wasn't relating to Jesus as the God who had shown her love and had shown her mercy and had shown her grace. She was relating to him as somebody she needed to impress or someone whose favor she needed to earn rather than enjoy or someone she served because she had to, not because she wanted to, because her relationship had become based on duty rather than based on grace. And that's not the way Jesus had wanted it to be. I've had a bad back since I was in high school. I was running track. I was uh, stand, you know, kind of crouched down in the blocks one day, and my track coach calls my mother aside and says, "Hey, you know, your son's like crooked. Like his back is something's wrong with his back. You need to take him to see a doctor." And we went and saw the doctor, and you know, whatever and all all of that. There's I've had problems with my back essentially since I was in high school. So my chiropractor and I have become uh, pretty good friends, and over the years we've gotten to know each other very well, and we've had some good conversation as he has been torturing me, I mean, uh, actually helping me in that. And so one of the things I noticed after about the fifth or sixth or 10th or whatever it was visit is he never called me by my first name. He actually never called me by my last name either. He would always refer to me as Sir, or Buddy, now I'd I'd speak to him of his name, I'm not gonna, you know, tell you who he is, but I'd speak to him in that way, and he would talk to other patients because I hear him interact with them. He'd always call them by their first name or by their last name, and I'm always Sir, or I'm always Buddy, and so at one point I said to him, hey, why is it that you never call me by by my name? And he said, I can't. I said, why not? He said, Catholic guilt. You're like a priest, you know? you know? I can't call the priest by his first name. Like, that. that's wrong. And I know you're not a priest, so I can't call you father. So I call you sir, or I call you, you know, buddy, or something like that. We had a good laugh about, you know. So I said, I said, I'll make a deal with you, okay? You start calling me by my first name, and you fix my back, and I'll help fix your Catholic guilt, you know? And, and we had a good laugh about that. Now, just, you know, before anybody you know, worries about this. Catholics absolutely do not have a corner on the guilt market, right? The Methodists are pretty good at it. The Baptists are great at it. The Presbyterians are excellent at it. And one of my favorite are the Jews. Now, those of you who don't know me, I'm actually half Jewish. So I grew up, you know, in a a partially Jewish household. How many Jewish grandmothers does it take to change a light bulb? None, I'll just sit here in the dark, (laughs) Mom, if you're watching this, you never said that to me. There you go. But seriously, right, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to to relate to him on the basis of, of guilt. He doesn't want us to serve him because we feel obligated to serve him. Jesus died to remove our guilt, not add to it. He doesn't want us to try to earn his favor. We don't have the resources. We can't earn his favor. How good would we have to be in order to impress the God of the universe? That's why he gives us his favor as a gift. He doesn't want us to feel obligated to serve him. He wants us to enjoy serving him. And that's mentioned over and over and over in Scripture. Just read through the Psalms. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Shout to the Lord with joyful singing. Those sorts of things over and over and over again in Scripture. And then you've got passages like this. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul, he's talking about giving, and watch what he says. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give, yes, but he wants us to enjoy doing it. He doesn't want us to do it because we feel like we have to do it. And Paul here, he's talking about money, but elsewhere he talks about serving in different ways. So whether you're giving of your money, whether you're giving of your time, whether you're running the half marathon to, to, to help out to provide clean water, for the people who need it over in Africa, whether you're helping out on the second floor with the children, whether you're in the kitchen here at Renaissance, whether you're serving at the info center, whether you're taking a meal to someone who's just had a baby, whether you're helping out your neighbor who needs some help with whatever it is, whether you are the one who is working and somebody else is sitting there not doing what you think that they ought to be doing, whatever it is that you're doing, God says, if you're doing it for me, I want you to enjoy it. I don't want it to be a burden for you. Jesus does not want us to try to pay back some sort of a debt that, he's, that we have incurred because he died for us. We could spend our entire lives trying to pay off that debt and there's absolutely no way we could do it. And he knows that and that's why he calls it a gift of grace rather than a loan or a mortgage or something like that. If we have to pay back grace, it's not grace. It's a debt. Grace does not, grace does not create debts. Grace pays debts. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Our debt has already been paid by Jesus. And once we embrace that, once we get that, once we own that, once that becomes part of who we are, then serving him becomes a joy and serving him becomes something that we're excited about and serving him becomes something that we want to do rather than something that we have to do. And the key to doing that is to do what Mary did. We need to take the time to sit at Jesus' feet. We need to take the time to be with him. We need to take the time to get to know him to find out more about who he is. What is he like? What does he have for us? What does he wanna teach us? What does he wanna tell us about himself? What does he wanna tell us about his heavenly father and our heavenly father? What does he wanna tell us about ourselves? We need to sit at his feet and learn from him and enjoy being in his presence. And to that end, I wanna give you a challenge on top of the challenge that Kristen, that Kristen already gave us earlier in the day. I wanna give you a challenge. The New Testament contains four biographies of Jesus, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those biographies of Jesus tell us what Jesus did, they tell us what he said, they tell us what he wants us to know about God, what he wants us to know about ourselves, what he wants us to know about how we ought to live our lives, how we ought to relate to one another. Basically, he, they, they, they tell us how to be a human being as one who is a child of God. And so I want to challenge you to do is over the next 90 days, read one chapter in each of the gospels. There are 89 chapters in the four gospels so you can take one day off over the next 90 days when you're you're reading through those. And as you're reading each chapter, ask yourself these three questions. First, what do I learn about God or Jesus? So what do I learn in this passage, this, this chapter about God and what do I learn about Jesus? Secondly, what do I learn about myself? What does Jesus say about me? And then thirdly, how should what I've read affect my life? You could spend as little as 10 minutes a day or as long as you want doing this. But with 10 minutes, the average reader ought to be able to get through one chapter in the Bible and ask, at least spend a few minutes on each of of these three questions. But don't do it because you have to. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm encouraging you to do it. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because it's a way that you can sit at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I wanna learn from you. Lord, I wanna know more about you. Lord, I wanna know what it means to have a relationship with you. And if you were to do one chapter a day, you'd finish all four of the Gospels by the end of October. But if you're sitting there and you're saying, it's just too much, I got too much going on, maybe I could do it for the month of August, but once September hits, things are gonna go nuts. Okay, fine. Then just take the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, You can finish that in three weeks. No problem getting that done by the end of August. Do that with the gospel of John. And I bet when you get to the end, you're gonna say, you know what? I think I wanna start in the gospel of Matthew and continue on from there because because you will have spent those 21 days, just a few minutes each day, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if you do that, I think it's going to transform your life. It's going to change the way you look at God. It's going to change the way you look at yourself. It's going to change the way you look at the people around you. Martha, Martha let her activity for Jesus get in the way of her relationship with Jesus. She was so focused on serving Jesus that she forgot to enjoy being with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is not based, it is absolutely not based on what you do for him. It's based completely on what he's done for you. That's the bottom line. And all he asks of us is to look at him in faith, sit at his feet and say, Lord, I need you. Will you teach me? And Mary understood that. And that's why, that's why Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And that's why Jesus said to Martha, that's where you should be too. In a minute, uh, the band is going to come up. And they're going to play a song for us, a song uh, to help us to reflect and help us to think and help us to to process uh, the things that we've been talking about. So uh, while they're playing, just sit there and, and think about the words of what they're saying. Think about who Jesus is and what he's done. Think about your relationship with him. Think about what he's done to meet your need, how he has served you, and just ask him to help you to see him and to see his grace and to find freedom and hope and rest let us pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for, I thank you for the story of Martha and Mary, and I thank you for your gentle encouragement of Martha to be more like Mary and to sit at your feet. I thank you that you, that our relationship with you, that my relationship with you is not based on what I do, how well I perform, my need to impress you or to pay back A debt that I've incurred but that it's based on your grace and the payment of my debt that you've already made for me and I thank you for that and I pray for myself I pray for each of us uh, that over these next weeks and months we would take time every day to sit at your feet and as we do that I pray that we would see more and more of who you are and of what you've done and of your incredible love and mercy and grace and as we do that I pray that we would find peace and we would find hope And we would find rest. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.